Do you feel useless sometimes? Do you feel useless? Like you perhaps have nothing to contribute. Uh, Maybe because of your age you feel not needed. Or because you lack talent or money or time or knowledge. And because you lack these things that you are not useful. Perhaps you feel that way at times. That you could maybe go away and those who you are with wouldn't really even notice or feel the loss. Because you didn't have much to contribute anyways. Um, The next few verses we're going to look at address uh, this very matter, this very issue. They speak to believers in Jesus and shows them how every single person matters to the whole. That we're not to be individualistic, but instead we're to think about community. What does that mean? This section shows us that there is no time, there is no time for a Christian to check out and say, yep, I've had my time and now I'm done. And now I just get to sit back and ride this ride. There's no time for a Christian to check out and say, I'm beyond my years of service. There's no time for a Christian to check out and say, I'm not useful. There is no time for that. May it never be so that you would ever think that way or that I would ever think that way. Uh, Whether you think it because of your age or your ability or what you have or what you lack, uh, that this seems to determine if you belong or not, or if you are useful or not, or if you can contribute anything to the people of God or not. It's not what matters. Uh, it is instead your commitment to the people of God, as we will see this morning in our verse. So Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 6, and we'll focus on um, 3 and 4. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace giving us, let us use them. And I'll stop there. So today we're looking at verses 4 and 5 specifically. And verse 4 begins with the word, for or therefore, uh, making this connection then to the verse prior and the one before that. And so the chapter begins by talking about you being a living sacrifice, you giving up your whole self for God to his service. And then it goes further to say, well, you need to have a proper self-evaluation if you're going to do that. Like you, you not ought to think of yourself too highly than you ought. You must think of yourself with sober judgment. And we looked at that last week. What does that even look like? Like, Look at yourself through the lens that God has. And not through the lens of comparison. That's the danger. That we can look and say, yes, I am holy because that person is not. Instead, we look at ourselves through God's lens. We see ourselves in light of who He has made us to be and called us to be. Really, we are just recipients of grace. It just repeats verse 1. By the mercies of God. And then Paul says, well, by the grace of God. And so he's just recognizing that that all that we have 
is not deserved. And so this sober judgment, this proper judgment of who you are, is going to help you to sacrifice yourself for God. So then it goes a little further. And it's, it's going to help you to evaluate yourself properly, to have a sober judgment so that you don't think too highly of yourself. It says, God's placed you in community. He's placed you in community. For, and then it goes into this whole image. As in one body, we have many members. So the reason here, for, is, is showing us this is going to be a tool used by God to, to humble us. To show us that we are not our own bosses. We are not our own individuals with, with no regard of anyone else. But instead, we are dependent. We are so dependent. Four shows us that we are, are able to get um, not this high view of self, but instead, and considering that you're just one piece of the body. You're just one piece of the body. You might be the fingernail. You might be a ligament. What are you? You might just be a hair. Right? When, when Paul draws us in, and here and in 1 Corinthians, to, and in Ephesians, to this image of you being just a part of the body, you're not the body. You're not it. So people who think they're the stuff ought to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and he ruins that. Because if you think you are it, that's an idol that is damning to your soul. And so God, by his grace, brings us into community and says, actually, you're just one piece and you can't function on your own. You need others. And guess what? They need you too. So it's good on both ends of the spectrum, right? It's good for those who think too highly of themselves and who think that they alone are the best and they can do this thing on their own. No, no, it brings you down a notch. No, no, you need others. But then it also brings up those who say, you know what, I'm, I'm worthless. God says, no, actually, you're part of the body and you're necessary. I have you there for a reason and a purpose. And so don't count yourself out. Don't check out and say, I got nothing to contribute. No, God says, you are a part of one body. One body. We cannot boast then in being self-sufficient because we're not. We are totally dependent on others. And this context goes even further to show us some example of what that might mean. It goes on in uh, verse 6, 7, and 8 to talk about the spiritual gifts. The gifts, were, were they given in isolation for a person who lives on an island by themselves? Are they even useful? Well, what use is prophecy? What use is service? What use is teaching? If there's no other person, there's no use. And so even the gifts that God has given you to encourage you in the Spirit are for others. They're for spiritual good and benefit and growing in godliness of others. And says the way that this works is like the body. That's why it uses the word as in in verse 4. It says, for as in. So in the same way as a physical body has many different parts, it remembers, the scripture uses the word, many different parts, each are diverse. They look different. They feel different. They have different strengths. They have different abilities. They have different deficiencies. Each part of the body is different. But it's necessary. All the parts of the body are not meant to be the same. How ludicrous would it be for the muscles to be made out of bone? 
right? How, how crazy would it be that the eye should be where we taste things? Oh, sorry, I just got to stick my carrot in here first. Yeah, it tastes good. Right? It's ludicrous to think that one part of the body should be like another, or should function like another, should look and feel it the exact same as another. That is not so. So just how the body is a very um, understandable image for you and for me, that we can understand that my fingernail is not my eye, that my hand is not my head, we can understand that. It's so basic. The, the littlest of kid understands this. And, and Paul's trying to show us, and God's trying to show us, that this is you. You're just one little piece of this giant puzzle. This thing called the body of Christ. So it says, as in the same way. As in. For as in, verse 4, for as in one body we have many members. So, and the members do not all have the same function. Which is true. The example is is plain before us. And this passage is great for a number of reasons. Because it speaks to a person who says, I don't fit in. Or I'm beyond usefulness. Or I don't have anything to contribute. Or I'm not needed. It speaks to that person. It says, no, I'm too old. Or no, I don't have the abilities that that person has. That's great. You may be those things. But you are just as important part of the body as the rest. Perhaps you feel sometimes that uh, the way you are socially, that because of how quiet you may be or introverted you may be, that you can't really contribute to a church or to a ministry. You think, no, that that's, doesn't work for me. Or because of the age or the stage of your life, that because of that you can't contribute to the body of Christ. No, that eliminates that as well. Or people start feeling their age the aches and the pains, and they think, I can't contribute anymore. I have nothing to give. I'm useless. Or because of the stage you're at, you're busy. I'm not needed, or I'm unable to do anything of use to this body. But it's, it's far beyond that. It's much more important than what you imagine yourself to be. So part of this self-evaluation that he talks about is seeing yourself in light of who you are in Christ. And he says, in Christ, you're actually a part of this bigger thing. You're not just yourself. What's beautiful in the New Testament is whenever you see this language of what God has called you out of, he called you out of self, self self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-religion, self-salvation. He called you out of self-everything and brought you into dependence. He... You can't come to the cross and you cannot go to heaven unless you're dependent. First, you depend on Jesus to take away your sin. And then you depend on others to help you become more like Jesus. It's all about humbling us so that God might be magnified to us. He does this on purpose. Almost every New Testament book mentions the the fact that you are not just some individual, but you are a part of something. Many images in the New Testament refer to you as being a part of the building of God. Now, the body of uh, Christ, the, um, you're the bride of Christ, so you're, you're a part of with someone else. You're not just some individual. So it doesn't matter what your stage is at in life. That's not even taken into consideration what your abilities seem to be or how old you are. That, the Bible doesn't consider your age. It does not consider your financial ability. 
It does not consider how you feel. It doesn't consider whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. The Bible says you're, you're a part of the body, and that's something super important to God. So just in the same way that the body is made up of, of many parts that have different functions and, and don't look the same, just like you and I do not look the same and talk the same and think the same or know the same or have the same abilities, different functions, it says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Though many. It's talking about diversity here. A, a, a church or a gathered people made up of, of all the same people? It would be a sad spot if we were all eyes or we were all hands. If we were all people who were only intellectuals. If we were all people who were only rich and, and never poor. If we were all people who were uh, so self-sufficient, we would be in trouble. But it says, though many, so though there is many of us and and many different varieties of us, different ages and stages, though many, though diverse, though very different, we are unique, but here it says we are united. Though we are so unique, we are united. I love this passage because you almost anticipate this. It says, for as in one body we have many members, And the members do not all have the same function. So then you would assume, so then, in Jesus, we are very, very different. And we don't have the same function. But we're in Jesus. But it doesn't. It doesn't carry on with the differences. It doesn't carry on with the uniqueness. It takes the the uniqueness and it says you're unified. As much as you are unique, and that is important, that you are so different from the person next to you, what is more important is that you are unified in one body. In Christ. So, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. We're one. One body. So this refers to, obviously, the, what we call universal church. All Christians in all nations at the same time. So when someone says universal church, we don't mean the Roman Catholic church. Or even the, the term Catholic is a proper term. It means united. Uh, and so it's a good term. It was hijacked though, and so we don't use the term Catholic anymore, or Catholicity. Um, But that's the idea, is this oneness, is we are united, you have a brother or sister in Christ in Sudan. You're united to them in Sudan. You have a brother or sister in Christ right now in China, who's likely hiding. You have a, a brother or sister in Christ in Haiti, who's walking six hours to church. You have a brother or sister in Christ that lived in the 1500s. We are one body. There is not just, uh, okay, a body for this year and a body for next year or a body for North America. A body. There is one body. So there is one universal church under Christ. But then we do have local bodies. We have makeups of this. So you and I gathered within these four walls right now. We could gather in the park. It didn't matter where we gathered. But as a gathered people, we are then one body. And God does that by design. Because imagine, imagine if there was only one eye to this body of Christ and it lived in Sudan. And that eye was so important for seeing things. But he said, well, our body's quite spread out. So we don't really have that. And because there's only 50 of us here, we actually lack 
50% of our function because there's 50 other people somewhere in the world who are part of our body that should be here. Right? And so God so designs that, that you and I are, are so unique that we're not all the same. We all play a, a significant part in this one local body here now gathered as God's people. Unique yet one. Unique yet united. What I love is this image that we are one body in Christ. So Paul, he talks often in this language. So in Colossians, he says, it's this really interesting passage. If you come across it, you likely think, what in the world does he mean? Does he mean that Jesus was lacking something? Listen to this passage and, and you might hear why I would have questions. Colossians 1.24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Right? So you read that verse and you think, wait a second. Is Paul trying to say that in Christ's suffering and affliction, something was lacking? And that's why he is willing to suffer now? Well, no. You keep reading and it helps you to give understanding. He says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. So he says, where you are a coward and not willing to go out, he says, I'll go out. I'm filling up what's lacking because of you. He says, because this body, it's almost like a lame arm. And the other arm has to make up for it. It has to work extra hard in order to make up for what the arm cannot do anymore. What's what Paul is saying here? He's like, in my suffering, because Christ called you to suffer and you're not suffering. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself out there, all of myself, and I'm going to suffer to fill up what is lacking. So he sees that the body is so Vital that each one is doing their part. What I love about this image of one body in Christ is it shows this unity and it ought to be a counter-cultural unity. People ought to view your life and ask you, who are your friends? And you could name some people from church and they would go, what, why in the world are they your friends? They're nothing like you. You're a sporty person, and they are a computer nerd. Or, or you're 85, and they're 26. Why are you friends? Right? And, but then you begin to see the unity of the body of Christ. Is we are one, and one in what? One in, in just passion? One in interests? No, listen, Christ is not an interest of mine. Christ is not an interest of yours. Christ is your life, and He is my life. Therefore, we are one. It's not because it's an interest. like It's going with the tides. You know what? When that fad goes out, I'm out too. But you can stick with it. Jesus isn't just an interest. This is not a social club where people join because we have the same interests. This is not a ukulele club. This is not that sort of thing. That's what some people view the church as, right? Oh, it's just another club. you got members. This verse, these two verses mention the word members three times. So the world views it as, oh, I get it. Yeah, you're like a Lions Club member, but over there because y'all are interested in Jesus. Like That's how people literally view this thing, oftentimes because we have this idea of unity broken. Right? We think that, well, I, you know, I might call these people my church family, but I'm not friends with them or them because we don't share the same interests. Or not the same age, or we, we've never really talked because it's kind of awkward. Right? But that's where the world can view a church that is functioning as one, united, serving the Lord together, and say, that's different. That's not 
a uh, band club. That's not a club that's gathered because they all like rocks. It's a club that's gathered because they are not just joining a membership of something, but instead they are in the family of God and they are united as one body needing each other in Christ. Mark Dever says in a book, an excellent book called The Compelling Community, talking about the church, Mark Dever says, there should be relationships where you are only friends because you're Christians without worldly explanation. If someone was to look at your friendship and they say, why are you a friend with them? You couldn't pinpoint things like, oh, well, we enjoy coffee together or we share the same interests. But the only reason you're friends is because you are one in Jesus. That's a compelling community. That's a place where it doesn't matter what you're like or how weird you are, you can be a part. Right? This world is lonely and looking for connection and looking for a place to belong. And sadly, they do not find it in the church of God. Because we want to be um, friends for reasons other than our faith. Mark Dever goes on, he says, A church composed of natural friends says little about the power of the gospel. Right? What does it say? It just says, yeah, you're friends. So what? As Jesus even said, yeah, you know, even the world, those, those who are wicked can treat their friends well, but hey, try treating your enemy well. That's what the church does. Like, even a person who you are so drastically different to, are you friends with them? Dever says, a gospel-revealing community of natural enemies will require sacrifice in every aspect of our life together. Which is true, and that's why you can see it coming following the beginning of this chapter. Present yourself as a living sacrifice to God for his service. Well, what is part of that sacrifice? Part of that sacrifice is giving up your preferences. Well, I prefer to be around people like me. Of course you do. But should you be around people and relate yourself to people and unite yourself to people who are not like you? Absolutely, because you need them. You need them. And not just in a practical sense when you think like, I don't know how to work my computer. I'm going to call Heidi. Like that's not how it goes. That's not why we are united in Christ. Instead, we are united representing the triune God. Jesus prays this in his prayer to God, the Father, in John 17. Here's what verse 11 says. For I am no longer in the worlds, but they are in the worlds. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Listen carefully. He says, keep them in your name which you have given me, so that they may be one, even as we are one. So that they may be one, even as we are one. And he goes on later in the chapter, he says, I do not ask for these only, so he's speaking of his current disciples there, he says, but for those who will believe in me, through their word, that's you and me, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may also be in us. Here's why. So that, this is so important, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The reason for our oneness and our unity is so that the world may believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. So that they may believe you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, so that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. That they may be one, so that the world 
may know that you sent me and love them. There's a, there's a lot at stake if the church is divided. There's a lot at stake if we are not united as we ought to be. If we are not one. Though many, yes, recognizing our uniqueness, if we put our uniqueness on the line because of, of unity. Or sorry, we put unity on the line because of our uniqueness. Jesus says what's at stake is people knowing him. People knowing that he loves them. That we may be one just as God is one. He is one. He has distinct roles, right? The Son is a distinct role from the Father. The Father has distinct roles from the Spirit. They are not uh, the same in their roles and their function, but yet they are one. They are so one that we can declare without a doubt that we are monotheists, meaning we believe in one God who exists in three persons. So that's how you and I ought to be. Though we are distinct, we ought to be one. And here's where it continues on. It says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. In Christ. We're not just, again, one body because we share a same interest. But said we are one body because we have a union with Jesus. Colossians 1.18 says, He is the head of the body, the church. Your union with Christ is what brings you in. He is the head over all. He is the Lord and the leader of your life and my life. And I might be the left hand and you might be the right hand, but our head is the same. Therefore, our mission is the same. The way we're going is the same. What we hope to accomplish together is the same because Christ is our head. What you begin... you, what you see beginning to happen in, in people, maybe it's you or I, or maybe it's churches or different uh, types of separations, is when one person decides on their own way, they insist on their own way apart from the body. They say, you know what? I think we need to go this way. And the head is telling the rest of the body, no, go this way. There's been a brain injury, right? When the body does something that the head is not telling it to do, something is wrong. So here, we learn that we are one body in Christ. He is the head. So when things go off and there begins to be uh, pulling apart rather than mission together, you begin to say, who's not following Jesus? Who's not considering themselves in Christ and following His Lordship, His headship over us? Who's disunited themselves with Christ? Has someone made something uh, so significant that it's, Separate from Jesus? What's amazing is Christ brings us in to a union with Him first and foremost. A person who says, I don't belong. I am useless. I got nothing to contribute. I don't mean anything to anyone. It's not true. It's not true. They've never heard then that Christ so loves them that He came to die for them and forgive them so that He might be reconciled with them, that they might have a relationship with Him and when they do, oh, then he brings them into a community. So, so people, I feel sad for people who do not gather within the local body, who, who think that watching church on TV is sufficient. Man, do they ever miss out on so much. They miss out. We're one body in Christ. Our union with Christ is what brings this sense of community. 
Oftentimes, people will uh, flock to a church if there's like a real friendly bunch of people because they think, yeah, there's a sense of community. I like that. I, I feel like I want to belong. Well, what we need to realize is you need to belong to Christ first and foremost. That's where you get your sense of belonging. Don't ever depend on other people sitting beside you to give you your sense of belonging. Don't, don't bank on your spouse to give you a sense of belonging. Take it from Christ and Christ alone. Belong to him who is your head. And then he will gift you with a sense of community in the body of Christ. He will then meet your needs and have you meet the needs of other people. You will be useful and you will be served if, as long as you continue to serve others. What it says, though we are many, we are one body in Christ. And read what it says next. And individually, members of one another. One another. That is such an important phrase. As you read your Bible, to pay attention to. One another. It takes you out of your own little world and plants you where God would have you in his body. That we are members of one another. The hand belongs to the eye. And the brain belongs to the feet. And the knee belongs to the stomach. If one does its own thing, the rest suffers. One another is what's important here. And one another firstly brings a sense of security. You're not on your own. When you're going through a valley, you have other people who are strong at the moment. So don't do the valley alone. You have the body to uphold you. Don't just lob yourself off as a lame leg. Instead, let the body of Christ know. and Let them lift it. Let them carry you. There's a sense of security. And where is the security firstly found? But it's in Christ. I'm in Jesus. I'm in his body, under his lordship, in his leadership in my life. I am one body in Christ. So therefore, I submit to him. I submit to him. Even when I want to insist on my own way, for the sake of him and him being known in the world, and for the sake of his body, I submit to him. That's why we ought to be good Bible readers, to know what it means to follow Jesus well. For the sake of his glory and his reputation in the world. And for the sake of your fellow believers. Because imagine if part of your body insisted on its own way. You'd feel the frustration. Knowing that it's not working as it ought. But here we all submit then to Christ. And then when we have this sense of security. This sense of uh, um, belonging. Then... Uh, it gives us a sense of commitment. I, I'm committed to this thing for the sake of, of my head, Jesus. I'm, I'm committed. The whole idea of being, we get it now, like even the word, how it's used now is being a member, right? You go to Costco, you get a membership. You're paying, you're committing for a time. Right? It's the same idea here, except for you did not make yourself a member. You do not determine the terms of your contract. God has made you a member, a a part of his body, and so committed you to it. So then you commit yourself to others. Say, I'm committed to your good. If you're down, I'm going to lift you up. I'm committed to your strength and your growing. I'm not just going to let one part of my body become 
little and stay immature, when we are growing and we are going in that direction, I'm not going to let that happen to you. And you commit to another believer and you let them commit to you and say, yeah, hold me accountable. If I'm dragging us down, call me out on it. Like, who would want to stop growing as a two-year-old? Right? That's what the body of Christ is there for, is to continue to stretch you, grow you, carry you on as you ought to be. And so you commit to one another then and say, help me as I help you. We want to grow together for the sake of God's glory because a little immature child cannot communicate as an adult can. Nor can an immature Christian better reflect God's glory than a more mature one can. So we have this goal in mind, and it's God and His glory. So then if you are okay with immaturity, you're not thinking about the rest of the body. You're not thinking about how this whole thing represents God. How this whole thing has greater capacities to serve God. If you are okay with immaturity and say, you know what, I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to serve people. I can just be my own little Christian in my own little world. You're not concerned for the glory of God because it will be tarnished. A mature Christian. That's why in, in Colossians, or no, sorry, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about the purpose of the church. It talks about the purpose of pastors is to equip the saints for ministry. Not equip the saints for enjoying sitting down and being served. No, equip the saints to serve one another. And then the goal, you keep reading on in Ephesians chapter 4, the goal is maturity. Because what does a mature Christian do but better reflect God? That people might see him and say, wow, God is so patient. You should not have been patient. God is so loving. I am undeserving. That comes in maturity. And so then we commit to one another in that regard. We commit and say, you need to hold me accountable. And I need to hold you accountable. That's why our church has formal membership. There is a membership covenant. We say, I formally, in front of others, am making a vow to you. I care for your spiritual good. We agree on the same thing. We are one in Jesus. We agree on what that means. We agree on the gospel. So let's commit to one another's growth for the sake of his glory. That's what our formal membership is all about. We don't do it well. Those who are even members do not hold each other accountable as we ought to, but it could be beautiful if we then committed to one another. And if we do, we commit to one another in such a sense, then not only do we have a sense of security, a sense of belonging, but we have a sense of purpose. What else do people want in this life but to have a purpose? Everyone wants a purpose, a direction, a focus, a reason to live, a reason to get up in the morning. I'm telling you, if you are in Christ, you have a reason. It's not just to live for you and Jesus. You have a a purpose, and that is to be a part of the body and to serve the body and to help. You may be the kidney. You may be the ear. Do you know your part? Are you playing your part? You have a purpose. It is so good that you have a purpose in this life and in this world. And God has made it a part of of a community. You're not on your own in your purpose. It's good. It's a good thing to be a part of the body, the one body in Christ. Though we are many, we are one in Christ. Not one person in the family of God, no matter your age or your lack of knowledge or your lack of wealth. Or talents, not a single person in the body of Christ is useless. Not a single person in the body of Christ is useless. That's a good thing to hear. How many days do you maybe think and feel like you got nothing to contribute? 
to this world, let alone your marriage, let alone your church family. You are not useless. Because in Christ, you are now united to his people. In a unique way, for unique purposes, with unique plans. All for a unifying and God-glorifying end. You have a key role. So does the person next to you. And so does the person next to you. And that's how this text brings us to, to always consider ourselves with sober, proper judgment. You're not the stuff. You're not the only one. Yes, you have a purpose. Yes, that purpose is important. Yes, you are useful. But you are useful in, in community. And the person next to you also is just as useful in Christ. So the family of God is a place like no other. When people who are looking for a sense of belonging, people who are looking for community, they're looking for love and, and, and family, they don't find it in Christ. And Christ gives that then and continues it and maintains it in his community. I don't know about you, but I don't know the last time you felt the physical presence of Jesus with you. That's often pretty rare. To feel this overwhelming sense that, no, I know God is here like right now. I feel it. I don't know about you, but maybe it's rare, maybe it's not. If it's not, praise God for your life. But for me, it feels pretty rare. I don't feel that physical presence of Jesus quite often. But you know when I do? It's when I get a hug from a member of my church. When I get a note that says, I'm praying for you. Man, do I feel the love and the presence of God. God at work among his people. Like This is the place where people come to feel a sense of belonging and feel a sense of purpose and, and feel like I am useful. You can write a note. You can say a word of encouragement. You can serve. You can donate. You can do whatever it takes. But you can play a part in, in the body of Christ. You are useful, no matter your age or your stage. No matter how much you have or do not have, you have a part to play. And that's the way that God is encouraging his, his believers. Because if you never had encouragement, you're just going to lock yourself in a room. And you might open your Bible. You might develop a relationship with Jesus. But it's going to be stunted. Your growth is going to be limited if you're not encouraged and you're not in the body of Christ serving together. So what's beautiful is we have this community in Jesus. So let us never take it for granted. It says, as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. Though, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually as members of one another. Give yourselves for one another. Spend yourselves for one another. Encourage one another. Be there for one another. So that we may be a people who are encouraged, who are united because it's not a worldly thing, but because we are in Jesus and we want to live for Jesus together. We want someone to be encouraged in Jesus. So we do it together as we are one another. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are a God who reconciles. You're God who mends and, and brings back together. You're God who makes broken things right and, and makes all things new. And so we thank you for that, God, because we are a broken people. And when we are left to ourselves, uh, we isolate ourselves. And uh, God, that leads to a, a deadly path. People who are isolated and not a part of a community in Christ, they will just be left to their own flesh and its desires. They will not have the greatest discernment. They will trust and deceive their own, and their hearts will deceive them. 
So God, thank you for community. Thank you that we are individually members of one another, that we are so dependent and interdependent on one another. God, thank you for the body, that when we have need, there are others there to help, that we have a sense of belonging, a sense of security. Yes, firstly and foremost in Christ, in our union with him, but we thank you that we alone are not the body, but we are members of one another, God. Help us to be encouraged by that to think of our own usefulness, our own contribution to this body, may, whether it be small or significant. God, thank you that we have a part to play. God, help us to do it so that the world may know that you sent Jesus, so the world may know that he loves them, God. We can serve better together than apart. So we thank you for this design that you have worked out, that we might be, though unique, we are united. God, thank you and use us In this way, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.